0: The second reading this morning is from John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. It will be found in the Church Bibles on page 1089. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But He said to them, unless I see nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and have not believed. Jesus performed many of the signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book, but these are are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you have the life in his name. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm going to start this morning by playing a song or part of a song. It's one from one of my favourite albums called Dangerous People by Noel Richards. The song is called Here We Are. It's a very long song on the track, so I cut it down to a chorus and a verse. But listen to the words, which are important, which will link in to what I'm going to say about Thomas this morning. Thank you. Interesting, what he said in that he said, All God's heroes failed as we do. Sometimes I hear some Christians, it's like we're all on the victory side, and if something comes against us, all we've got to do is to rebuke it and it won't happen. But the truth is, we do fail. If people challenge that, I'd say read your Bible from beginning to end and see that God's people, men and women, do at times fail. God's everlasting kingdom will never fail, but people in the short term, sometimes fail. And I think we've got to learn to live with that and not pretend it doesn't happen. And then he said, sometimes doubting all that is true. And sometimes Christians, some Christians, act as if doubt is the opposite of faith. And the way Christians react, I don't know, some Christians, you say to them something like, well, I'm not sure about this, and they go, oh, Graham. You don't believe, and you go, oh, fuck that. But I don't believe that doubt is necessarily the opposite of faith, as we sued today, that doubt does not de- drop, dis- destroy faith. I believe faith is much more about trusting God and journeying with him than necessarily getting everything sussed. The next line said, interestingly, yet he calls us people of great faith. Yes, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we have doubts, but we're people of great faith. And then he says, working through us as history is made. You See, God is working through each one of us. Sometimes in our culture today, we're into the big stuff. We want the glorious, the magnificent. And I think, again, with Christians, people go, oh, it's all about revivals and big miracles and all the rest of it. And yes, they're great, but you and I are making history. It may only be a small part of history, but it's part of a bigger history, and God is working through us. And as the chorus said, we're dangerous people. Dangerous because we're advancing God's kingdom in Jesus' name. So this morning, I thought we'd look at Thomas. Those are the two readings. And there's two things I feel about Thomas. First of all, he's a thinker. I don't mean necessarily had great intellect, but he's the one who thinks about things. And I have a great affinity for that. My daughter and granddaughter on I quite like that. You are Sue. They're both thinkers. Not always a good thing, actually, to be a thinker in the Christian church or the Christian faith because you think things out and there are things. And the second thing about Thomas, if I say he's a depressive, sometimes in the past it would have been called a melancholic. I don't mean he's totally depressed, but Thomas is the one who sees the glass half empty rather than half full. And I would contrast him with Peter. Peter's the one who just says, oh, yes, Lord, let's do it. Whereas Thomas goes, mm, I'm not sure about walking on water, Jesus. You tend to sink. So Thomas is that sort of person who thinks about things and sometimes sees it. And again in the church, people come up to me go, oh, it's wonderful, Graham, we're going to do this. And if you're the thinker, you sometimes go, it's not that you haven't got faith. You go, mm, well, actually, etc. And that's Thomas. But remember this, Jesus loved all his disciples, all his followers, and we are all different. We're not all great extroverts. We're not all great people who leap out. But God loves each one of us, whatever our character and nature. And Jesus certainly loved Thomas. So in the first incident, Lazarus is sick. Well, actually, he's dead. But the sisters say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And these are Jesus' friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're his best friends. He stays with them. He really loves them. So Jesus says this sickness won't end in death, although he actually knows it's already death. He says, rather, it's for God's glory. And he says, let's go back to Judea, although he apparently waits two days. That's interesting. Work that out. Why did he wait two days? I think there is a reason, but we can work it out. But then the disciples say to him, Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you're going back. Now, I don't know this, but I think Thomas is the ringleader of that. It sounds just like Thomas to me. Look, Jesus, last time you were there, they tried to stone you. This is not a good idea to go back to Judea, to Bethany. But anyway, Jesus says... Let us go back. Then they say, of course, well, if he's, he's only sleeping, we don't need to go back. And then Jesus says bluntly, Lazarus is dead. But finally Jesus says, let us go to him. And then Thomas says this, just hear him, let us also go that we might die with him. Typical Thomas. I have a great affinity for Thomas, some of you may realise that. But notice this about Thomas. Even though he thinks that it may lead to death, he's prepared to follow Jesus. He's prepared to go with Jesus even unto death. And I would say this is very much at the heart of what faith is about, trusting God, following Jesus, and not necessarily having all the I's and the T's dotted in our faith and understand it all, but to say to God in Christ, I trust you, I'm following you, and I'll go with you. And, of course, in the second incident, Jesus has risen. Last week, we had the two women. They'd met Jesus. Very well done. Jesus is alive. they have met him. And then the rest of the disciples meet Jesus, the risen Christ, and they know he's alive. For some reason, Thomas is not with them. And so when they meet Thomas, like a lot of Christians, they're very enthusiastic. They go, he's risen. The Lord is risen. <laughs> And typical Thomas says <laughs> Sorry, Thomas' going. So Thomas says, "Unless I put my hand in his side and my fingers in his wounds, I will not believe." Typical Thomas thinker doesn't believe the resurrection, wants proof, and is a bit negative about it in one sense. But the disciples are meeting in the upper room, and notice this, Thomas still goes with them. Thomas is still following Jesus in his heart, even though he's not sure about this resurrection and does not believe it, he is still following Jesus, his Lord, and goes to the meeting. Now, what is Jesus' reaction to that? Sometimes, some of the gospel I hear, I'd be careful to say, but particularly on some of the American God channels, I feel God often has a frown on his face, and he does not like us very much, because we're nasty sinners, and we've got to repent. But the God I know, particularly to his children, has a smile on his face and welcomes us into his arms and into his life. When Jesus was stood on the cross with his arms raised out, I think God in his son was saying to the world, I welcome you, I draw you to myself because I love my world and I love people. In fact, Jesus said, when I'm raised up on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. This is the God of welcome, The God who loves us. Not a sort of serious judge who's looking down his nose at us all the time. Yes, he doesn't like some of the things we do, but he loves us. So Jesus comes into the meeting and he says something like, Peace be unto you. Interestingly, the you is plural. I know in English we only have you, but in the Greek it's you, all of you. Now he knows Thomas is standing there, this guy who's doubting him. And he says, peace be to all of you. Now, sometimes I feel that God some people betrayed. Jesus should have said to Thomas, Thomas, how on earth could you not believe in me? I told you. I told you I was going to rise from the dead. But he doesn't say that. He says, Thomas, come here. Put your hand in my side. Put your finger in my hand wounds and believe. It's actually ongoing. He says, don't go on disbelieving but rather go on believing because it's always an ongoing journey that's the Jesus who draws Thomas to himself because he loves Thomas despite this doubt and through that Thomas is going on with the journey and says my Lord and my God that's the place we've come to to see this God who is our Lord and our God and who loves us and this has been my experience I have shared some of this story before about two years ago, so some of you heard it, but I'm going to say it again and tell you a little bit about myself because I think it links up with Thomas and how God dealt with me. When I was young, we lived in North London. I've got an older sister and as a family went to a congregational church. So at the age of five, I went to Sunday school, as you do, and our young people go out. So I heard a lot of the stories about Jesus And then when I was a teenager, I went into what I think our church called senior Bible class, so whatever. So by the age of my teenagers, I could have said, Jesus Christ was the son of God. Jesus Christ died of the sin of the world. I knew a lot. Today's children do not, but I knew a lot. At the age of 18, I hear an American evangelist, Billy Graham. He was actually in an Anglican church, but it was a joint service. And I decided to commit my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour for the rest of my life. It was a commitment rather than necessarily some sort of emotional conversion. But God loves all our decisions to accept and to follow. So in fact, because my friends went to this lively Anglican church, I joined this bunch of lively Anglican people. I was baptised and confirmed into the Church of England, having come from a congregational background. After school, I went to university and gained a degree in electrical engineering, and for some reason unbeknown, I could probably think back, I decided I was going to do a higher degree of some description, MSc, PhD, but to do some research. So I went and joined effectively the University of Surrey and did the research at Aldermaston. Yes, Aldermaston. I wasn't in the secret nuclear bit, but I was doing some solid-state physics. What I didn't realise at this point in my life was that I was sliding into true depression. Nobody around me seemed to have the wit or wisdom, apart from Sue's mum, I think, guessed a bit, but my, nobody thought, Graham, you're becoming depressed. It was very frustrating doing the research. But it was about this time also that many of the traditional churches, Anglican, Baptist in particular, came into a touch of the Holy Spirit used to be called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it seemed to be most people who had this baptism of the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. And I'm one of these people, when I hear something, new author, new something, I love to find out about it. So I said to God one night, from Luke's Gospel, he says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I'm a bit like this. I said to God, okay, God, if this is real, and if this is for me, I am asking you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I actually said, God, if it's really for me, I want it to rain tomorrow all day. Now, I know you shouldn't put fleeces out. Vickers will tell you a bad job, but I did. And the next day I looked out. Every time I looked out, I could see spits and spatters in the puddles. At the same time of all this was going on, my parents decided to move from North London to the South Coast. I'm in my 20s and I said to my parents, I'm not moving with you. Now, people will say when you're age 20, this is no big deal. You just leave home. But because of the dynamics, particularly of my mother and my parents, it was not good news. It was not easy. My mother was not very happy at all. But I told them. And that night, lying in bed, I was actually at my sister's house, I remember just thanking God, saying, Thank you, God, I had the courage to do this, and I'm doing whatever, and I'm going on. And suddenly, I'm speaking in tongues. Nobody laid hands on me, nobody taught me, nobody said anything. I'm just praying in this language, and I thought, this is great. But about four or five days later, I have a very messy, nervous breakdown. I'm taken to a mental hospital where I stay two weeks. And when I come out as an outpatient, I was under the consultant psychiatrist and I am in deep clinical depression. I do not believe there is a God. I sort of virtually lost this. There's possibly no God. There's no hope at the end of the tunnel. I could not read my Bible. I tried, but I could not read it. And prayer was almost impossible because prayers bounce off the ceiling. There's no hope. There's no God. And if I came into a meeting like this, which was lively, people singing, hands in the air, passion, I used to feel really tense and frightened. And Sue would tell you, I used to go for a walk out in the fresh air outside. That's where I was at. And I even thought several times about taking my own life, because there's no hope, there's no God, there's no light, and the bottom of this black pit, if you ever get there, is awful. But one thing about me, like Thomas... I kept following Jesus in my own way in my heart. I kept going to church, kept gathering with the Christians, kept following in my heart Jesus. And then I discovered, as Thomas did, that God is the God who absolutely loves us as his children and welcomes us. And I was really helped by sitting down with one or two or a couple of really mature Christians who listened to my story and helped me to address the issues and lead me back into faith with God. And it's been an ongoing journey. It's great coming forward to this corner and pray. That's brilliant. Sometimes a few of us just need something slightly longer and more of it. And God led me on a journey from that point for more than 40 years now and into a much better place. So like Thomas, I can say, my Lord and my God. And discover a God, a God of love and life, etc. That through the death of Jesus, we are drawn back into God, back into his love back into him he's a god of welcome not a god who pushes away a god who says to us as children come i'm your perfect parent who leads us on this journey if we continue to walk with him and that's the key trust walk with jesus and discover that through the power of the resurrection of the spirit he will pour life into us he will help us heal us change us, transform us It's not an instant five-minute job. It took quite a long time for me on this journey to get to a place where I could stand up like this morning and speak to people and say, this is an amazing God. That's the story of Thomas, a person who doubted and had difficulty, but found in Christ, the Son of God, a God who welcomes and has dealt with these things and through the resurrection of the Spirit pours this transforming life into us. Now, I know it's a busy day, rush on it'd be nice just to have a moment of reflection if it helps you close your eyes if you've got imagination imagine the smile on god's face for you particularly i'm just going to say a short prayer and leave a space for reflection father we thank you that you're the amazing god the father of jesus who through the cross and the resurrection has made it possible for us to have this living relationship with you a God who has a smile on your face and draws us into that. We pray your Holy Spirit will touch our lives. Come now, Holy Spirit, with the ministry of love and life through Jesus' death and resurrection, and lead us on on this journey with you more and more. So come, Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen.